the smallest particle in human body is is the quanta which is uh, so if if a particular change is made at the quanta level at the level of that quanta that smallest particle in our body and we have quantas all over the body including our brain one little change can actually uh, change all other 100 trillion cells in your body um, and that means that's good news and bad news right that's and that means if we actually are if we actually do something that impacts a one quanta in a bad way then all other quantas get impacted and uh, that actually can bring us down and what, what i mean not just physically but mentally and emotionally so it's just one thought if you think of if you right now if you think of uh, your happy place right what's your happy place could be a garden could be a beach could be your room um that's your happy place if you think about it i can see smiles on your faces already so you are not there here right now but just thinking about it has completely changed all the quanta in your body uh, makes you feel happier that's what neuroscience and mindfulness tap into welcome to inside out career design in this show we're obsessed with answering a single question is it possible to create an authentic meaningful and fulfilling life you love while building a successful and rewarding career. My name is Peter Axtell, and I'm here with Nicola Vetter. We're co-founders of the whatsnext.com Career Insights platform and creators of the groundbreaking Motivation Finder Assessment. Join us as we seek to transform suffering into joy for millions of people stuck and confused in their lives and careers We'll share our insights, discoveries, and life lessons and talk with career experts, leaders, spiritual guides, psychologists, data scientists, coaches, anyone who might hold a strategy or answer to the age-old questions of what's next for me and what should I do with my life? Get ready to be inspired, motivated, and above all, to connect deeply with who you are and what you're meant to do with the time you've been given. If you like what you hear, share it with your friends or family and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you'll never miss an episode. Are you trying to figure out what to do with your life? To figure out what to do with the precious time you've been given on this earth? or to figure out what only you as a remarkable and unique individual can bring into this world? If you are, please join us for one of our live and completely free online workshops where we cover different topics to help you figure out what to do with your life and career without wasting precious time, taking wild guesses, or risking it all. To save your spot in our next live and free workshop, go to whatsnext.com forward slash workshops. We can't wait to see you there. Again, that's whatsnext.com forward slash workshops. Our guest today is Virin Gomber. Virin is a mindfulness success coach, speaker, and author. If you're at a what's next moment in your life, a moment where change is inevitable, then the practice of mindfulness 
can be foundational for creating the change you want. Viren was successful in the corporate world and thought he had it made. He had worked hard to get there and thought he had what it takes to live a happy life. But something deep inside started to bother him. There seemed to be something missing. He realized that the career was not what he wanted his life to be like. Eventually, he lost his motivation and so he quit his job and went on a search to find answers to what he wanted his life to be like. Eventually, he discovered mindfulness practice, which at first he thought was a passing fad, but then found out it wasn't. It became the foundation of his life and continues to this day. That's why we were so excited to talk with Virin, to explore how mindfulness can create a big shift in your life. And in our conversation, we talk about how mindfulness is a way of living and how it can lead to success, balance and happiness that we are all looking for. How understanding the infinite power of the brain and integrating success strategies, planning and decision making with mindfulness. How mindfulness has four key elements that are easily understood and practical in the real world. How quantum physics has a link with what neuroscience tells us that one small change of our quanta, which are the smallest measurable particles in our bodies, can infect all other quanta in our bodies. One tiny change can affect our whole being. What's underneath procrastination and much more. And now it's time to listen and learn from Virin. Welcome Virin. As a friend and, and fellow traveler, you have been connected with us here at What's Next for quite a while now. And we are truly happy to have you on as our guest again, as you bring such a calming energy to every conversation. And one of the reasons for this beautiful energy is your dedication to meditation and mindfulness for over 30 years now. It's such an important way of being or shall I say a skill to surviving and thriving in these stressful and uncertain and demanding times we live in. So give us a glance into your personal history with stress and burnout and how practicing mindfulness helped and led you to where you are today. And that's a really good question that you asked, Nicola, uh, in terms of my pathway to where I am right now. And it's always interesting and fascinating when we, we realize um, our calling in life. So about 10 years ago or so, I was in a very well-paying corporate role with a PR company. And I really thought that that was it. That was the success I needed to live a happy life. Um, because I had really worked hard to get there. 
um, after years of, um, you know, um, grinding, working hard. And why I really enjoyed the role, um, and I was grateful for it, there seemed to be something missing. Um, and for some reason, I felt deep within that uh, it wasn't what I wanted my life to be like. Um, I didn't know what that was back then. Um, but that feeling kept bothering me. And as a result, I started losing work productivity. But uh, uh, unfortunately, that was not the only thing that uh, was going wrong in my life um, during that time. Um, some of my relationships were starting to lose juice and one of my relationships ended. And so I started to accumulate stress slowly, gradually, uh, which slowly grew and went up to the point that one fine morning I woke up and I didn't want to go to work. So, to, so I thought to myself, well, I'm going to quit my job. This is not for me. I don't see myself doing this in five years time. Um, and there was, I thought there was truly a warning signal that something was really wrong. And I wasn't quite sure what, what that something was. And all this pain and dejection started manifesting in my physical health. I started getting lazy, gaining weight, losing energy, and even the desire to work on myself. Um, and I, I quit the job eventually without a backup plan. I had mortgage and everything else, but I, I quit it anyways. Um, I started, you know, after, after a while, I started losing all my savings I had because there was nothing and uh, no backup plan, as I said. And I was looking for something else, another job, some freelance work and things like those. Um, but nothing seemed to be working out. So that had a huge negative effect on my relationship with my family, my parents, my siblings, even my friends. And I would get grumpy at the drop of a hat. Um, it feels funny now, just thinking about it. Um, and I started losing connection with, with myself. Um, and life really seemed to be a big burden at that time. I was, I was feeling stressed, depressed, and clueless. Three key words there. So I, now when I look back at that phase, I feel there was the lowest phase in my life. But for some weird reason, deep inside me, I had a little corner where there was a glimmer of hope that I was destined to discover and create something bigger than I could even imagine. And I guess probably that was because I had been regularly meditating since my teen years. And that helped me stay sane and stable at a deeper uh, baseline level. So I started seeing answers to my solution, to my questions and the solutions um, to all my problems back then. And I went online, watched all my, all the personal development videos and everything else around that just to find those answers. And as part of that, I learned quite a lot um, and I also discovered the true essence of value of mindfulness. Um, and initially I thought it was another form of meditation and a fad that was gripping the world and just like them diet fads. Um, but um, as I researched more and connected with other fellow mindfulness um, practitioners, all the pieces of the puzzle started to fall in place for me. And I realized that mindfulness is a way of living that can lead us to the 360 degree level of success, happiness, and balance that we all are looking for, actually. 
it's about it's about understanding our own neural system uh, the way our brain operates and the infinite power it has it's about applying these uh this understanding to build success strategies mindful goal setting action planning integrating all of those and this was and this was a huge turning point for me as that led to the transformation at all levels and that's where my my journey in mindfulness started and and today it's um it's it's just part of everything that i do Viren, can you paint us a picture of what your life was like before mindfulness and what it's like now it's a um very critical question that you've asked peter and i reflect on that a lot of times um back then i had no none of those skills that i have today in terms of resilience particularly in terms of bouncing back in face in the face of adversity in terms of communication um mm -hmm. communication with myself at the top communication with people around me in my personal life in my professional life uh, and also a deeper understanding of how 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 i operate how humans operate at every level how they think and what's uh what drives them what doesn't drive them so all of those things that the not just the knowledge but understanding a deeper understanding of how that operates how that works and how people really operate as human beings i had none of those concepts back then before mindfulness came into my life and as you can imagine i was just like a piece of driftwood you know um yeah nikola you were about to ask something what is the difference between mindfulness and meditation because you mentioned meditation and that you had some practice in meditation before that's right so that's a that's an eternal question that keeps getting asked a lot of times um so in fact the term meditation is an umbrella term for a lot of strategies a lot of ways you can you can um utilize strategies or methods or ways you can use to uh de-stress you can use to let go of difficult thoughts emotions and feelings um and even though mindfulness is considered a mindfulness is considered initially used to be considered as one form of meditation but it's actually uh it's a it's a bigger uh, umbrella in itself um because mindfulness is not just uh, a meditation a type of meditation there is something called mindfulness meditation but mindfulness is more uh, a way of living as i said the way you can uh, live life in an operational way so for example i can sit down um i can sit down and do mindfulness meditation which is you know close my eyes like i do a zen meditation and it's a mind type of mindfulness meditation i can do but through the day if i'm talking to people i'm delivering my work i'm working with clients i'm working with providers anyone it's the behavioral side of mindfulness so i can live uh, my life more mindfully through the day and sitting down meditation is one part of it only and people think people have this still 
Uh, there's a lot of myths around that in terms of you have to sit down, cross legged every single day for 30 minutes um, to be to be mindful, but that's not so. Um, as I said, as I discovered the true meaning of mindfulness, it completely changed my perspective on on it. And um, so it's like a behavioral mindfulness um, that really drives us on every on everyday basis. I hope. Uh, I'm making sense around that because um, there's. Um, I come back to you, Peter. Sorry. <laughs> um, there is this. There's particularly four key elements. Just to give you a bit more clarity into this, four key elements that that um, I kind of teach, and it's it's kind of all those be behavioral mindfulness steps come under those four categories. There's you know awareness of things, then there's um, acknowledgement. Um, and then there's acceptance and there's uh, action. So understanding all those things, there's four different categories that we can uh, put everything that comes that's related to mindfulness under those categories. Yes, Peter. Viren, I'm imagining someone in our audience is imagining, okay, what would a behavioral thing be like with regards to mindfulness? So can you give us an example of something and how you might react to it or, or how you put all those pieces together in a very clear, practical way. Yeah, so as an example, uh, we, come, we, we face a whole lot of different situations in our life every day. Uh, quite a few different conversations that we have with people. Sometimes those conversations are uh, make us happy, sometimes not so pleasant conversations, as you can imagine. And a lot of times what we do is we kind of, if someone really talks to us in a way that we don't like, and we carry that back through the day, thinking about it, getting stressed about it, judging that person based on what they said or how they behaved with me, how they make, made me feel, impacts on my, um, my thought process, my emotions and my feelings, right? And if I'm if I'm not able to let go of that um, easily and effortlessly, then I'm carrying that those emotions and feeling through to the next day and to the next day and the next day. And in the meantime, I'm talking to hundreds of other people, and I might be accumulating similar judgments uh, from them as well, right? And particularly for for our audience, uh, let's say you know you are uh, you're in a job and uh, your boss talks to you some way, one of your colleagues talks to you in some way that you don't like, there's arguments or there's some behavior that you don't like, and you are judging them all the time based on what they said or how they say things. Um, that causes a lot of anxiety, lot, lots of uh, uh, stress that you carry through the day. And stress, as we know, is, is, the, is the biggest killer at the moment in terms of uh, not just, you know, um, not just our success, but how it affects our physical well-being as well. Um, so if you go to the go to your GP for any little thing, they would say, "Are you stressing?" You know, um, because stress makes stress actually worsens everything. So if I'm able to utilize here uh, the principles of mindfulness, of acceptance, for example, of non-judgment, if I accept that person as they are, or I accept a particular situation as it is, um, but Acceptance doesn't mean I accept that, accept that as it is and don't do anything about uh, about it to improve it or enhance it. That's not acceptance. 
so according to mindfulness, acceptance is when I accept the situation as it, I don't make it worse. I don't really brood over it. I don't mourn about it. I don't complain about it. But I try to do something to make it better. So that's your behavioral mindfulness. And then I, I can only approach any such situation only if I if I'm able to actually ground myself in here at the brain level. Uh, that's where mindfulness meditation helps. But on a day-to-day -day basis, on my behavioral level, I need to, you know, uh, practice some of those principles of acceptance and non-judgment. In our Inside Career Design podcast, we like to dig as deep as we can because our audience is asking the question, what's next for my life and what should I do with my career? Or even the bigger question, what should I do with my life? So, Viren, what were those what's next moments in your life and career where you had no choice but to figure out what's next for you? Yeah, I did give you an example earlier, but there have been, obviously, once I started learning mindfulness, there have been uh, numerous other examples or situations in my life where um, where I had to I had to actually dig deep to make the right choices. Um, I mean, it doesn't mean that I'm, if I'm doing that right now today, I am perfect at making all those choices. May I make all the right choices all the time, but that's the beauty of, that's the beauty of practicing mindfulness is that once you start to uh, leverage these strategies to um, become more open and achieve that growth mindset, you start to, you start to, uh, you start to build a, a bank of confidence and and self-compassion and self-love as well as self-respect and self-esteem where you're not fearful of taking any decisions, right? Um, so that means even if the decision, and when you're not fearful of taking any decisions, that means most of times you would, you would be acceptable to any outcomes that come from your decision. Um, and you... And even if that decision goes wrong in some form, you know, everything turns to custard after that, you can bounce back because now you built your resilience muscle as well. So, um, and that, that, that um, you know, 10 years ago, whatever happened, there was, and back then I didn't have any uh, mindfulness skills, uh, to be honest, as I said, um, maybe some meditations because I was able to ground myself, but nothing of that sort that I have today. Um, but in my, in my coaching business, success consulting business, over the last um, eight to nine years, there've been in innumerable instances where I've had to take some really high-level decisions. Um, I was actually working with, for example, just one of the examples that you asked. Uh, I was working with with another a business uh, uh, person, another entrepreneur in my business. We were partnering, working together uh, on a project. Um, it was a twelve-month project. And um, and we started very well, um, and the project was going well. Three months into it, some some disagreements came to the fore, um, and there was there was an opportunity uh, to make some hard decisions, right? To make some hard decisions whether to continue with that uh, association because we had come a long way. We had actually worked together for almost about a couple of years to put that project forward and together. Um, and there was kind of a, we were both enthusiastic about it, but because of some of the differences in opinion and thought processes, um, 
we could have actually ended that relationship uh, on a better note. But because we are both, in fact, um, in the space of mindfulness, uh, so we were both able to practice acceptance of each other's thoughts and opinions and really come to a conclusion of a very uh, decent and, um, and really amicable resolution to park that project till we could come together again uh, with on the same plane of thought. So that's where I've, I probably found the most, that's probably one of the biggest examples lately, you know, uh, lately you could say in my life where um, mindfulness has come to the fore for me and really saved me being the savior. That's beautiful. I think you always approach situations in your life over the whole period of your life where you have to draw from what you learned in meditation and mindfulness to manage the situation, right? Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And it's, it's an ongoing process, Nicola. Um, as I said, uh, we are we never, we never going to be perfect, but it's, it's a learning curve all the time. We're learning all the time. And no, it's not just learning, it's actually applying that learning that we learn um and and being open that's part of the growth mindset i kind of keep uh bring that word up again growth mindset is actually being open to making mistakes being open to um to learning from your mistakes mm. now virin with a master's degree in quantum physics uh, you approach meditation and mindfulness from uh, neuroscience and quantum physics so how has that added to the idea of mindfulness and what makes this approach so successful? Okay, great. Uh, it's it's actually just you taking me back to my uni days when I was studying quantum physics. Uh, and back then I had no idea. Because um, back then I was, I was thinking of getting into research, scientific research. Um, but I had back then I had no idea why I was studying um, quantum physics apart from that goal of going into research. But then for some for some reason uh, that the universe knows, um, my situations changed. I couldn't go into research. Um, I actually went ventured into a very different field. I ventured into interior design. I studied interior design and worked as a designer for a few years. Um, but then I had accumulated uh, that that curiosity already studying quantum physics. Um, and later on, when I actually got into mindfulness, understanding the science of the brain a bit more, I started to actually, um, my brain reminded me of my quantum physics understanding and knowledge. Um, and now here I was, here, here actually, if you go back probably 15, 20 years, Neuroscience was quite an alien subject as well in itself. And neuroscience actually has exponentially grown in the last 10 years, particularly. So I got to study that as well. I got to study NLP. And that suddenly gave me, uh, you know, gave me the opportunity to connect the dots from where I learned quantum physics back then. So all those concepts that neuroscience really tells us today um, have a huge link with what quantum physics uh, tells us. And quantum physics has been um, the basis of all these 
in new studies around neuroscience as well. Um, particularly at the quantum level, because we say the uh, the smallest particle in human body is is the quanta, which is uh, so if if a particular change is made at the quanta level, at the level of that quanta, that smallest particle in our body, and we have quantas all over the body, including our brain, one little change can actually uh, change all other hundred trillion cells in your body, um, and that means that's good news and bad news, right? That's and that means if we actually are if we actually do something that impacts our one quanta in a bad way, then all other quantas get impacted and uh, that actually can bring us down. And what, what I mean, not just physically, but mentally and emotionally. So it's just one thought. If you think of, if you right now, if you think of uh, your happy place, right? What's your happy place? Could be a garden, could be a beach, could be your room. Um, that's your happy place. If you think about it, I can see smiles on your faces already. So you are not there here right now, but just thinking about it has completely changed all the quanta in your body, uh, makes you feel happier. That's what neuroscience and mindfulness tap into, but how we can, how we can tap into that uh, a sense of uh, making that little change at the level of quanta to make a huge change in our lives and the way we think. That is super interesting. So the implication of that is that if we want to make change, these little small incremental changes can have a profound effect. And, and neuroscience is, has proven this? Absolutely. So there's been um, probably more than uh, 10,000 pieces of research now in neuroscience and mindfulness that point to some of these outcomes. And actually, it's quite amazing to think that um, because I come, come, I was born and brought up in India, and India has a huge ancient civilization. Back then, uh, probably more than 5,000 years ago, some of the most ancient scriptures that mankind has, called the Vedas, if you know about the Vedas. And so one of the Vedas, Upanishad, uh, there's one sentence in it that says, when a, when, a bla when a blade of grass is cut, the whole universe quivers. So you can imagine that's neuroscience, that's quantum physics. And that's what scientists are catching up on now, even though that wisdom existed 5,000 years ago. Okay. Now I want to drill down on this a minute. So I'm imagining somebody in our audience, they are looking to make some kind of major change, either in their career or their life. And change is stressful and scary. I'm trying to get a handle on if you could make this small change that could have that kind of potential in your entire body. What, what would you tell somebody who's going to make, trying to make this major change? What should I do next? What would you tell them? Yeah. And, and particularly you're right. I mean, particularly with someone who may not have this level of understanding in terms of how I can change if I can make a big change, and most of most times people think I have to make a big change in my life. You know, there's so much problem in the world. There's COVID, there is inflation, there's, you know, economy is going down, you know, gas prices going up and all those things. Uh, the world is in a mess. There's wars happening. Um, and then people start to think I have to make so many changes in my life to be happy, to be successful. 
but that's where we can understand this science helps us to understand how we can make some little changes to achieve big results it's very similar to um understanding i don't know if you play golf do not no? that little white know? ball that people chase around that's the one golf. that's the one um <laughs> I don't. I don't play golf. Uh, I've I've played it in the past, but I'm not currently playing it. But I was just watching, uh, you know, Tony Robbins' video. He talks about golf um, that he started to play, and he he never played golf, so he just wanted to play with his kids. That's why he went um, on the golf course and started playing. And he had a trainer, and and the trainer, uh, you know, told me how to hit the ball and all of that. And he was hitting, 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 um, and everything was kind of really going either in the you know in the sand or in water um so he was getting frustrated and so his his trainer said hey tony you are just you are just one millimeter one millimeter away from hitting it right and tony was like what do you mean my ball's kind of going you know miles away from where it should be going and he's saying it's one millimeter off he said okay just let let me show you so is there that when you when you actually hit the ball, so it's usually like you know, um, just change the angle of your ball, the way you hit it, change it by one millimeter. And also sometimes you're stroking the ball just one millimeter uh, on top of the ball, so bring it down a little bit, and then see the difference because that one mil one millimeter means that it completely changes the arc of that that trajectory of that ball that it takes, and one millimeter means it can actually go uh, into the sand or into the water or to where to the hole that you want it to point it to. So it's one millimeter today. It's like if I make a change today in one of my habits um, and then I continue with that change consistently for a week, two weeks time, three weeks time, four weeks time, in six months time, where would I be with that habit? Think about everything that you've learned today you know, you know the learning curve. You know, it's it's like you can't just start learning today and tomorrow you can get a job, right? It's a learning curve, right? All the all the learning that we accumulated today was a result of little little pieces that accumulated, and now you are there at that level where you are in your job as well. Um, so it's the, that point of little points of difference um, that we can see make a huge difference. So obviously, if I am doing something today and I, I'm planning something for the future, um, I can't imagine it to be like that. I'm, I may be starting a job today, for example, and I'm imagining I want to earn a six-figure income, but today I'm earning only 50K, for example, and today I can't imagine a six-figure income. When would that be? How would that be? All of that. But we've seen examples of how people have started their jobs and you know maybe if we have examples where people have started as a cleaner at mcdonald's now they own that same store mcdonald's store right how did that happen so little you know little pieces of action that they took every single day and it takes time so takes all time. those people out there that are saying oh give it to me quick <laughs> right they they will lose exactly yeah now people have told us that they are afraid of making the wrong decision 
making a mistake or disappointing someone. Uh, but you've written that mindfulness can help people make faster and better decisions. Tell us a little more about that. Yeah, so what happens is um, it's like when you when you see when you when you're standing in front of a pond that's clear and transparent, it's clean water, you can see through to the bottom of the pond, right? But when you actually throw a stone into the pond and there's ripples in the pond, you can't see through to the bottom. That's what happens to our brain. If there's too much happening in our brain, we can't make clear decisions. We can't think clearly, right? Um, and another example is um, everyone uses laptops, computers. If you have too many windows open, your machine starts to heat up and it freezes at times. Then you have to reboot it. And that's what happens. Our brain is like an operating system, a, a computer. If we actually open too many windows, we are overwhelming ourselves. We heat up, we heat it up very, very quickly. And then we freeze at times. We don't know what to do. So we can't take empowered decision, well-informed decision, if that's happening inside our mind as well. So in order to achieve that state of clarity, and clarity is power, in order to achieve that state of clarity, we need to bring down the level of activity that's happening in our brain. Um, and then when that happens, our brain gets more space to think clearly, to make the wisest decisions possible. And in fact, one of the one of the key benefits of um, practicing mindfulness is actually even helps to boost your intuitive power. And when that means that um, when you have actually better intuition and better intuitive powers, you are bound to take the right decisions more often. Because most of the times we think I should, and just from for your audience, for example, if um, if they are if they're actually applying right, left, and center for jobs, you know, and they don't know which one's the right one for them, right? Maybe in the surface something looks really beautiful and shiny, um, but Again, if you can utilize your, if you're able to utilize your intuition to make those decisions, you will never miss the mark. So that's where the power of mindfulness come to, has come to the picture, where you can utilize it to actually uh, stay grounded up here. So you give more space, more clarity to your thought process, to your intuition to make those decisions. Viren, how do you tell whether you are on track with your intuition or whether your mind might just be fooling you? How do you tell the difference between the two? Um, you'll have to give it a try, Peter. <laughs> <laughs> as I said, as I said earlier, um, the more you grow in that space of understanding your intuition, um, the more you would feel um, feel instinctively what the right decision is for you. So there's a lot of, uh, actually there's a lot of science behind it as well now, but, um, and I tell you what, there's three brains we have, not just one. Did you know? So there you go. So we have three brains. Obviously you have the head brain. Everyone knows about it. Then we have a heart brain. In fact, the, 
the nerves in the heart brain outnumber the nerves in our head brain. And then we have a gut brain. So there's three brains here. You know, we talk about things and you would experience this as well. Sometimes you say, hey, I've got this gut instinct, you know, something's not right here. Um, so what's that? It's actually your gut brain telling you something, right? And if you can actually improve those powers, there's a, there's a huge science behind it. It's called multiple brain integration, MBIT, multiple brain integration, where you can actually make decisions by integrating all three brains, not just using your head brain, but using your heart brain and using your gut brain as well. And then you can never go wrong. We, we teach some of the similar, not exactly like that, that's quite brilliant, that your body seems to be a much more reliable indicator of your internal wisdom than the logical crazy mind. That's a, Absolutely. That's, that's amazing. You've also written, Viren, about the regret of sunk costs. And I'll clarify that. I'm imagining someone in the audience who's thinking that I've got the paycheck, I feel kind of secure, but I'm really unhappy, or I spend so much time in my education and I, I just have to continue on. Don't want to be a lawyer. I hate, I found out I hate being a lawyer, but I have to continue on because I have these sunk costs. Let's talk about that. Yeah, um, it's, um, it can actually, it can come from, um, from various sources, you know, um, and it can, again, a part of that is our own mental barriers. A big part of that is our mental barriers and, you know, mental barriers um, are formed based on our own upbringing. That's one of the, one of the sources of that. Um, upbringing plus what the media tells us. And in fact, in our own experiences. So there is the mental barriers, but also our own experiences that contribute to that, um, that state. So, I mean, everyone uh, experiences failure in their life in some form, right? Small or big, you know, some, some people experience a double Excel size failure and that's fine. Um, but that actually contributes to our thought processes around, particularly around that as well. Um, and that can, that can actually lead us into freezing, not taking any action, um, you know, um, getting really, getting really unclear about where I want to go. Um, and why that, why does that happen? Because this is, this is a condition that we get trapped into because of all our experiences in the past. Um, and when, when we do that, we start to actually put things off. We start to put things off that we know we should be doing every single day and we know we can do it, but we put things off. Um, and a really good example of that is from, um, from James Clear. If you heard of James Clear, who wrote the bestseller Atomic Habits, is that um, there is, there is a, there's two kind of really, two kind of, kind of states we are working uh, towards, right? One of them is a present state and the other state is a future state, right? Um, so we're kind of really trying to, when we're trying to make goals for future, um, for example, losing weight or writing a book or finding the right job, you're actually making plans for the future self and you're envisioning that um, what you want your life to be like in the future. 
Now, researchers have found that what you think about your future self is quite easy for you for your brain to see the value in taking actions with those long-term benefits um, because it comes in long-term rewards. However, while the future self can set goals, only the present self can take action. The future can't take action right now, right? So your present self, whatever, um, whatever you your thought processes are, your belief system are, you're gonna take action based on that. And when it, come, it comes to taking a decision, you're no longer making a choice for your future self. Now you're in the present moment and your brain is thinking about the present self. And researchers have discovered that the present self really likes instant gratification, not long-term payoff. Um, so the future self wants to be trim and fit, but the present self wants a donut. So that's the biggest barrier, I would say, and you know that brings us to that state that you just mentioned. So you're, are you saying that the awareness then to understand this mechanism of your future self and your present self wants this instant gratification and that's where things kind of fall apart and you you kind of give up. Is that, do I understand that? That's right, that's right. So <clears throat> um, as an, an example, like many young people um, know that saving for retirement in their 20s and 30s is crucial, right? They know it, they know the concept. Uh, but the benefit of doing so is, is decades off so it's far easier for their present self to see the value in, in buying a new pair of shoes or, you know, or a new gadget rather than, you know, socking away $100 for your 70-year-old. They can't see it right now. And that's, it's not that, that also means that they're not to blame because that's how our, our brains are wired. But now that we also have this understanding, this knowledge of how we can, uh, you know, transform the situation, uh, we have a lot of choices now. Mm. This this has a lot to do with procrastination, right? Exactly. <laughs> and and it's a it's a big issue for many people. Uh, now you are an expert in this field. So what is at the root of procrastination? That's a good one. Um, now, what is procrastination? That's what we need to understand first, right? What is procrastination? I call it, mm -hmm. I call it the squirrel syndrome, um, <laughs> um, because, well, it's it's not uncommon for people to to spin their wheels and lose focus. Um, so why why do we call it squirrel syndrome? Because squirrels have a severe inability to focus. All right, squirrels often dart back and forth back and forth, doubting their decisions, unable to choose a direction. Um, so basically, squirrels have something to teach us, which is what not to do. Um, so obviously, as you can, I can imagine, this can actually cause these abrupt dashes from one idea to another, to one project to another. It can cause you know, a um, lot, um, lot of anxiety. It can cause a lot of delays in terms of your your decision-making process. But why why does it happen? That's the that's the main question, right? Um, and there are actually quite a few few reasons for that. And that's there's a whole cycle around it, how we how we start. As I said earlier, most of these things can start from a particular failure in life, you know? And that's there's a cycle, what you call the failure cycle. 
so what happens is when we are uh, the the beginning of the failure cycle is excitement where we get excited about brand new things and when we are in the excitement part of the of the cycle we have a go up and go forward mentality our attitude is we look forward to the future we excite we are excited about the outcome and we do what's necessary whether it's a new job you know new relationship going to the gym you want a new body you are excited when you're starting that but you know um change is change requires work so what happens is um we all know that achievement for, for for getting achievement in any part of life you need to constantly work towards we know that right and even though we kind of still keep improving after the excitement phase of it it's usually after about 6 to 8 weeks for most people that we start to avoid a little bit just that little bit it starts to become a little harder or boring we start to miss the odd gym session or you know just starts to become a tiny harder that's what we do all of us do i mean we talk about we are in the new year uh, you know space at the moment and we know how people make new re- new year resolutions and most of the times they don't last more than 3 to 4 weeks um 90% of them and that's what this is this is exactly all about but at the same time our brains are not wired for that are we been taught all our life that it's it's bad to avoid things you know discipline is better and then we start to feel guilty because we are avoiding things inside of us we start to feel guilty and we start to make excuses because we're now being becoming defensive so that's the next part of the cycle excuses so we know that the book of excuses is 7 billion pages long and growing every day <laughs> my mind comes up with excuses new excuses all the time right whenever i'm trying to do something you know um but we know that that's that's completely wrong so we start to we actually enter the last part of the failure cycle which is which we call blame now making excuses and suddenly we know that this is not wrong so we start to blame we start to blame others we start to blame situations we start to blame the traffic for little things if i'm getting late you know i could start half an hour earlier i could dress faster i could save another 10 minutes in the shower i could take a different route you know traffic is not to blame the the guy in front of me is in the same spot as i am and then the 10 guys in front of him are in the same spot it's not their fault it's nobody's fault so but i get in the habit of blaming things and situations so this is the complete kind of failure cycle and then that second part remember we had the excitement part then when we enter the avoidance part that's the part this where procrastination starts to kick in that's what we call procrastination and if we can make a change at that level we we able to sustain that level of excitement that we started off with then we can win over procrastination and just to very quickly um give you some of the key reasons why that avoidance happens that's important to understand there's three or four reasons actually there are four reasons number one we have wrong goals we're not clear about our goals and number two our focus is not very clear we have you know scattered thoughts all the time number 3 we have no action plan in place to get to where we want to go from point a to point b if there's no clarity around that i'm not going to take action i'm going to just sit in my couch and keep watching netflix um 
And the fourth one is, again, that mental barrier, right? If, you know, I'm, I'm actually, I've, I've accumulated so many barriers in my mind, so many thought processes based on how I was brought up and the media that actually those, they actually block those, uh, my thought processes, all the fears and doubts and worries about things. Now, I, I want to go back to the, <laughs> to the squirrel sequence or the, the squirrel syndrome, syndrome. How, you, how you called it, funny name. Is it possible for someone to overcome this squirrel syndrome forever? Or is it just part of the human condition that needs to be managed somehow? Yeah, I wish there was a magic wand that could allow us to banish it forever. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. Um, but, you know, there's been a lot of research around procrastination because it's probably one of the biggest uh, topics of uh, conversation and research because this is this impacts people's results and outcomes in life, right? So one of the one of the uh, one of the psychologists, um, I think his name was uh, Joseph Ferrari. He he said that everyone procrastinates, but not everyone is a procrastinator. So he said that. He said that as many as 20% of adults worldwide are true procrastinators, right? Meaning they are, they are chronically procrastinating. Um, and that could be a condition, but it doesn't mean that because the whole, the whole world population procrastinates from time to time. We all part, part of that club, right? Um, and obviously um, uh, there is, um, what happens is there's also research that tells us now that um, that procrastination is a problem of emotional regulation rather than uh, time management or rather than a problem being in itself. It's actually a symptom of emotional regulation, your self-regulation. Um, and now that you ask this question, it reminds me also of uh, another fact, which is a fun fact. You might enjoy that. Thornis might enjoy it, is that um, human beings have been procrastinating for centuries like for centuries. The problem is so timeless that in fact, um, even ancient Greek philosophers like Socrates and Aristotle developed a word to describe this type of behavior and it was called akrasia. Akrasia is a state of acting against your better judgment. Yeah? It is when you do one thing, even though you know you should be doing something else. So loosely translated, you could say that akras akrasia is procrastination or a lack of self-control. Um, now, it brings me to that point where you asked about, can we get rid of, we can actually manage it better, utilizing a lot of strategies, as I said, there's four, four of those things, if you can address them, you know, uh, get really clear about your goals, um, get a really strong focus, get a strong and clear action plan, and then overcome your mental barriers that can help you actually overcome a lot of the uh, effects of procrastination. So that's where I could uh, easily say that mindfulness can help us with achieving all those things. But it has a lot to do also with discipline. You have to keep at it, right? Yeah, exactly. And you know what discipline has, um, the, the habit of discipline really gets nurtured when we start to see rewards, right? 
if I'm not seeing rewards, if I'm going to the gym every single day, after four weeks, if I'm not getting results, you know, I get demotivated and then discipline goes out the window, right? So that's what human mind wants. It wants to see rewards for every action. That's how it gets into a discipline. Viren, I want to circle back to something you said in this four-part process of failure. You said in the first part when you're excited, if you could go back and regenerate that excitement, I think that's what you said, how would I go and regenerate that excitement that I had lost? How would I actually do that? Okay, that's uh, that's something um, that we can easily achieve by uh, by understanding the fact that why did we start that project, that thing in the first place, right? And if that's if there's no high level commitment to anything, that we would never actually follow through. That's the whole thing. So we can get get excited about a new TV you've just bought, right? And then you you know you kind of put it in a really central place of your house and that becomes a center of attraction. And, you know, for, for a family of four, let's say, you know, they have little kids, you know, they watch the TV every single day after a couple of months, that becomes part of the furniture. But what was the first, um, first reason you bought that TV for, for example? Was it just for entertainment? I think about it, just for entertainment or you wanted the whole family to come together, sit together, hang out together, have some quality time together. So if that's not, there, was, there wasn't your pulling uh, vision, then you're going to lose that excitement that started initially, right? So, so what I say is that there is a, there's a few things you could do to actually make it, to stay in that excitement phase. It's actually starting with that vision, right? getting really clear about your vision, a vision that has pulling power. You accomplishing something that you're passionate about, you're truly passionate about. So I would encourage anyone who's listening to this is actually to get real clear about your vision. Like Abraham Lincoln said, if you have six hours to cut a tree down, spend four hours sharpening your ax, right? So, because if you get very clear on that, then those couple of hours that you have left, you would be, you have a sharp axe and you can actually achieve your goal very easily. So what's sharpening your axe in this case? Actually finding out what you're truly passionate about and then you've got to attach yourself to, the, to, your, to that passion. And that's only the first step. The second step is actually becoming what I call other people centered in this process. Like if you could become disposed towards the delivery of worthwhile things to other people in the process of doing your passion, guess what? You're undeniable. You can't stop yourself, right? And that's where that will help you to keep yourself in that excitement phase. You would actually wake up in the morning every single day feeling excited to go to work, to doing something that you do, you're passionate about. So think about it as an example, if you're gonna lose five kg, you might struggle to lose the five. But if you lose, if you plan to lose the five kilos for yourself and also, so you could play with your kids more or be a better role model, or you could be less of a burden on the health system. Now you are other people center, right? Now you are, your pulling power of that goal becomes way, way more, right? 
and that's that's where that change can happen. You'll be excited every single day. Um, and also, it all comes with, you know, gaining mastery over your mind as well, because that kind of keeps fooling us as well at times. So it seems to me that people would be advised to think about a, I would say maybe a contemplation or a meditation or just some quiet reflective time to think about what is my vision, what is the goal that I started out with as a preventative from falling off that motivation and, and, and failing. Yeah, spot on. Um, essentially spending a good amount of uh, reflective time with yourself, understanding uh, and calibrating your current set of skills um, and what you want, really want to achieve, what's your passion, um, and how you can utilize your skills to deliver that passion, and how would it benefit not just you, but the world around you. Mm -hmm. So, Viren, people who are at a crossroads in their lives and they're trying to answer the question of what's next often experience anxiety and overwhelm. You say that even 10 minutes a day of mindfulness can help a person deal with this. How is that possible that it could take as little as 10 minutes a day? And for how long? Is it a month or a year? Yeah. Um, I mean, it, let me give you an example of how it works at the physical realm, right? You know, when we are hungry, we have a meal. It takes us about 10 to 15 minutes to have our meal, right? And then for the rest of the day, we can't be hungry again. We get hungry again. So we have to have another meal, another meal, or maybe some snacks in between. And the next day, we start all over again. We can't just say, I've had one meal now. I'm okay for the rest of my life. <laughs> <laughs> and similarly with, with this mind muscle thing, right? You know, you it's it's a muscle, right? You you go to the gym and you get fit. Let's say you have a three-month regime. You have a trainer and you get really, really fit. You will have acquired the body that you want. And then you go back to your regular routine and say, I've done my bit. I don't want to go back to the gym again. I'm fit for the rest of my life. Is that possible? Um, but you have to do it. It's consistency, right? It's, it's the same thing with this process as well. We can't just do it once and expect that the rest of my life is sorted. Um, because not just that, that my, my mind needs that, there's evolution happening all around us. Things have changed. The landscape is changing. The environment is changing. So I need to, I need to keep up with that practice to deal with the, the ever-changing environment. How has, how has COVID really completely transformed uh, the world and the way we live? Can we live the same way that we used to before, prior to COVID? I don't think so. Right? So we had to make those changes. We had to upskill ourselves. We had to be resilient. We had to come up with new ways of working. Um, and that's what this, this uh, evolution requires us to do, to be consistent uh, doing that. And, it's, and, and as little as 10 minutes a day. Well, it must be based on our previous conversation about that one little tiny change on how that just can multiply. You got, uh, you answered the question, right? So I, did, said, I did. I, you're a good you teacher. Go. You're a good teacher. I was listening. <laughs> Is it uh, hard to learn? Uh, it's not hard to learn. It's actually the only hardest part is being consistent. That's what I would say. Um, 
in fact, uh, it's actually the easiest thing to learn um, because there's so much, so many tools available these days. There's so many trainings, guided meditations, guided tracks, uh, you know, apps, whatever you want to do. And there's no excuse for not doing it now. Um, it's it's probably easier than never been easier to actually practice and learn meditation uh, than ever before. This is um, and I get surprised when people say you know it's hard. The only hard part, as I say, is because they're still trapped in their procrastinating mind um, because they our mind actually takes us back to a comfort zone um, because again it has some good intentions. It wants to keep us safe. It doesn't want want us to be in the discomfort zone. So. We have to actually come out of our comfort zone a little bit, a little bit, a tiny bit every single day to achieve that result. And how long does it take to learn? Can you see results like in a day? You would start to see results as 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 uh, committed as you are. So there would your level of commitment to it will uh, determine the level of your results, right? So obviously. You know, um, when you start to do something, as I said earlier, you know, you you're gonna be excited about it. Just the thought of just the thought of doing something new that's gonna give you results already changes the quanta in your body to a level where you start to get excited about it. And for the first few weeks, if you can maintain that consistency after the first few weeks, in the first few few weeks you'll also see start to see results, anyways. But uh, the real results would start to uh, really, it's it's kind of like compound interest, right? If you can do a little every single day, in a few weeks' time, you start to see the 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 compound interest impact. Viren, what's going on underneath the hood? How does it actually work? Okay, if you want me to um, uh, open up the science book, I can. I can <laughs> no, no, this is okay. I, I slipped because I'm fascinated by all how the mechanics of, of how it works. Maybe for our audience, I won't torture them. Maybe you could explain simply on how mindfulness actually works. Can you do that? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So let me give you a kind of an analogy around how, 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 um, how this might be working behind the scenes. So we have, you've heard of the, you've heard of our sympathetic nervous system and parasympathetic nervous system, right? And for a lot of people that doesn't make any sense because they don't know how it operates and that's fine as well. We don't need to, like if I'm driving a car, I don't know, I don't need to know how the engine works, right? You know, I just need to know how to drive the car. Um, so for most of us, we don't need to know how the science behind it works. We just need to, you know, get the benefits from it by applying the skills, right? Uh, by learning to drive, that's it. Um, but if someone wants to really understand how it works, it's, it's like an orchestra um, inside our inside our system, you know, not just a head brain. As I said, there's the heart brain, there's the gut brain. It's like an orchestra happening. So if I can change one thought about uh, about myself, about a situation, about anything that I want to achieve, that thought gives rise to a million other thoughts or potential possibilities that can give you more opportunities to think um, more widely. If you've actually ever uh, been on YouTube, for example, and if you type something on YouTube, um, let's say you say um, how to bake a cake, right? And you watch a couple of videos and go back to sleep, 
next day you open your YouTube, suddenly there's millions of videos of how to bake a cake in front of you. You didn't order that. You only ordered that yesterday. But now the YouTube algorithm knows this is what you like, this is what you want, right? So in the same way, this is what, what happens is what we have inside our head is what we call the RAS, the reticular activation system, if you've heard of this, which is if you actually open up a file of a particular thought, this is what I want right now. If I, if I introduce this thought to my, my system, you know, and I, this opportunity or anything that I want to achieve, just introduction of that thought, then my brain will start to to actually activate the RAS, reticular, reticular activation system, which is it'll start to show me all the possibilities, all the tools, all the resources that I need to achieve that goal. So that's how it works. And it becomes an orchestra. One little thing, one little piece of music that's playing in the whole orchestra really determines the rhythm of all other pieces of music. So if I can change, if I can, you know, fine tune that one little piece of thought, all of the thoughts become more rhythmic, rhythmic rather. Beautifully explained. That's a beautiful metaphor for my musician. <laughs> okay. Now, Viren, how is it possible that you can, by simply listening to recorded meditations, transform your energy? Okay, that's only the first step I would, you know, we can't just listen to 10 minutes of music, sit down and then the next day do nothing in terms of my action plan. So, I mean, there's no cure, there's no replacement for action, to be honest. So, it's not, you know, if you have the law of attraction, all of those things, like you got to work on yourself, your inner game, but then you got to take action as well. But what happens is working on your inner game makes the action taking part easier, right? Um, that means once you start doing that, you start to enjoy that action more. You want to, you become more resilient. Any setbacks won't bother you anymore. That means you will consistently take action, um, but you got to keep working on your inner so you can, um, you can actually be more productive every single day. You are, you know, boosting your cognitive capability as well as a result of this, and then you're becoming more productive and getting the results that you... Mm. Wow. Okay. Viren, is there anything that we didn't touch on that you really want our audience to know? Uh, I'm okay to even share a, a piece of a five minute piece of, if you wanted to include that as a clip, for them to practice a five five minute mindfulness meditation guided guided track if there's something you'd want to include in this um feel free to do so sure that might give them a taste of it sure that'd okay be wonderful great. yeah so we can add that to the show yeah. notes okay. if you send us the link <laughs> but while we have you here in addition to the clip is there anything that you would want our audience to know some pearl of wisdom that you'd like to leave our audience with? Uh, I think uh, there's been, um, if anyone, anyone who's going to be listening to this, there's lots of uh, wisdom already in there. I think um, I, I, I like to keep, think, keep things simple. So my, my, my mantra is actually 
simplicity particularly this year i want to i'm looking to simplify a lot of things in my life and it's not, it's not that they're over complicated but you know we we accumulate so many layers every single year um and layers of um you know physically as well as mentally emotionally we are accumulating all the time and one of the one of the biggest things that mindfulness helps us do is letting go um letting go is the most powerful it's actually the hardest thing to do but also the most liberating um in terms of acquiring a new version of you so the only the only um piece of advice that i can the last piece of advice or mantra is actually simplify your life that's what i would say mm. that's beautiful that's what we are going to work on as well this year <laughs> And I think that's a great place to end right there. Beautiful. Thank you, Vera. Thank you. It's always such a pleasure to have you on. Thank you, Nicola and Peter. And uh, it's, it's been a pleasure, you know, um, having this conversation, um, an enlightened conversation. Yeah. We hope you enjoyed this interview. The biggest takeaway for me was how quantum physics and neuroscience together has proven that a small change in one quantum in our body can affect all the other quanta. It's good news and bad news, however. A bad thought can work the same as a happy thought. Both can infect the body almost like a virus. Amazing. Yes, let's rather choose to be happy. And my biggest takeaway was how procrastination is what Virin calls the squirrel syndrome, meaning that squirrels have a severe inability to focus, darting back and forth, unable to choose a direction. They can teach us what not to do. So true. To learn more about Virin, head to whatsnext.com forward slash nine, where we share the transcript, links, and more. Again, that's w-h-a-t-s-n-e-x-t dot com forward slash nine. And if you like what you've heard, share it with someone you care about and subscribe, rate, and review our Inside Out Career Design Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you'll never miss an episode. Thanks so much for joining us here today. We'll see you next week for another episode, same time, same place.